Morning, church. It's great to, uh, it's great to see you here this morning and uh, a warm welcome from myself to all of you. Right, here's a title for you. The Justice League. The Justice League. You know what picture's coming next, don't you? Anybody seen the movie? There's a picture of the Justice Anybody here, just be honest, it's not a sin to enjoy superhero movies where the goodies take the baddies. Come on, who likes them? Who's big? Huh? Not many, huh? You Baptists are weird, hey? I'll tell you. That's good. In the movie, the... Uh, when you, sorry, just leave the things up for me until I change them. Thank you. Um, do you like the superhero movies? Uh, do you like it when goodies bring the baddies to justice? Do you like that? On a Friday afternoon, it just so happened that I was uh, sitting in the sauna at the GLC. And uh, it's just across the road here. I know that sounds a bit weird. And, and as usual, I was sitting there minding my own business. I always do that, and there just happened to be three other men in the, four other men actually, in the sauna with me. And I'm trying to mind my own business, but I just very subtly decided to, to ask a question about justice, what they thought about justice. Well, I never knew men could speak as many words as they did. I never knew men could swear as much as they did. And I want to tell you, the temperature in that sauna dramatically arose. And I, I think that little sauna became something of a little justice league. Uh, it was quite a heated experience, if you will forgive the pun. What if you can identify with these sorts of comments? It hurts like hell. It still hurts when I think about it. They're actually going to get away with what they've done. That wrong hasn't been righted. That person carries on as if nothing has happened. That person has not been brought to justice. That perpetrator has never been found. How could they get such a light sentence? I want that person to be brought to justice so bad. Justice is one of the most important subjects, and it's really one of those emotive subjects, not just in the world, but in the church as well. The church in recent times has been rightly accused of the vilest injustices because the church has covered up so much abuse. We all want justice for those who violate us, right? We all want justice for those who violate the people that we love. But paradoxically, we will do almost anything to avoid justice when we're the perpetrators. The guilty will lie and even pay enormous amounts of money to avoid justice. Perhaps the most extreme avoidance comes in those who take their lives before they are brought to justice. 
But a real significant problem when it comes to the issue of justice for us is that our justice often resembles vengeance and retaliation. You hurt me, and I will hurt you. You want to hurt me? I'll hurt you even more. And so our justice is often not justice, but rather what we want to do is we want to inflict painful vengeance on those who hurt us and hurt the ones that we love. Many love those movies like The Justice League where the goodies bring the baddies, but if you do like movies and you like action movies, those movies like Rambo and, uh, and Die Hard and those movies that have Jason Stratham in them, they are nothing more than bloodthirsty revenge movies that have nothing to do with justice. It's also interesting, if you do like superhero movies, it's interesting, after the, the baddies have been brought to book by the superheroes, at the end of the movie, do you notice what happens? After all the credits have come, they always give you one more clip, don't they? And there's a baddie. There's sort of some baddie. And uh, that baddie is set up for the next movie so that you can watch it five years later. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 1 to 10, if you've got your Bible open, is one of the most formative passages on the issue of justice. After Paul writes to the Thessalonians, take a look in verse 3 and 4, and he says, after, after saying, I thank my God for you, I, I thank my God for your love, and I thank my God for your faith, I thank my God for your endurance in Christ, he goes on to explain the justice of God. And look at verse 6. God is just. God is just. It is the most emphatic statement in all of the Bible on the justice of God. God is just. And what Paul means by that is that there will be justice because God is just. There will be justice because God is just. And I want to delve into this issue this morning in this passage uh, what comes out of this passage, there won't be all that there is to be said because this is just one passage among hundreds in the Bible. But I hope two things. One, that you might begin to wrestle again with the justice of God, but that you and I may come to a place where we delight in the justice of God. And I'm going to ask four questions. Four questions of the passage. And here's the first one. Why does Paul talk about justice at the start of his letter? Why does he begin with justice right at the start? So have a look at it in verse 4 and 5, because that's where the answer is. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. These Thessalonian Christians, they are suffering persecutions and trials. Persecutions are trials, but not all trials are persecutions. If you've got your Bible, verse 7, they're facing troubles, which is the Greek word for afflictions. These Christians are going through very difficult 
persecutions of various kinds, and these persecutions are unjust. Do you know why persecution is unjust? Persecution is unjust because to persecute Christians is to persecute Christ. And to persecute Christ is to persecute the truth. And to persecute the truth is unjust. John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. To persecute the truth is unjust. But trials also include all those things that happen to us, all those unjust things, those hurtful things, those painful things that happen to us. They come to us in the form of betrayals, violence, abuse, misrepresentation, slander, gossip, and so the endless list could go on. So in the midst of these very painful persecutions and these very painful hurts that are going on, these Christians in Thessalonica are asking the same questions we ask. Is there real justice for those who persecute Christians? And is there real justice for those who do the most abominable things is there, is, there, is there justice for the incredibly hurtful and vile things that people do to one another? When uh, one of the questions that I like to ask atheists, and normally a lot of them appear in saunas, funnily enough, um, I, I sit in the sauna, subtly, uh, on my own business again, and I'll say to an atheist next to me, a little bit like Friday, I say to them, well, if we're evolved and we are not created by a personal God, I ask, where is the justice in the world? And then I put the scenario to them like this. If someone does X to you, or someone does X to someone you love, and either that person is never caught, and they just die and go out of existence, or that person gets such a light sentence, I say to them, where is the justice? Where is the justice for people like Hitler and Jeffrey Epstein when they kill themselves in order to escape justice? Where is the justice? And as one atheist in the heat of the moment on Friday said, that was the answer. So let's go to our second question. So what is justice? What is justice? Now let me say to you here that some of my thinking has been enormously helped by a Christian lady by the name of Rachel Den Hollander. It would be unjust of me not to give her credit for a number of the things that I say here. Rachel Den Hollander was a U.S. gymnast. She was sexually abused as a child in the church and not believed. And then she was sexually abused by a top U.S. doctor, Larry Nasser, when uh, Rachel Den Hollander was a U.S. gymnast. Larry Nasser was eventually sentenced to life in jail without parole for abusing over 256 women in his role as a gymnast physician. The documentary on Netflix called Athlete A 
is well worth the watch. Athlete A, if you haven't seen it. Let me give you some definitions. Justice is conforming to a standard. Perhaps a little bit better. Justice is an appeal to a standard against which something can be measured. It was C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. He said that a man does not call a line crooked unless he has an idea of a straight line. So when Paul says in verse 6 that God is just, what Paul means is that God is the drawer of the straight line. God draws the moral straight line. He draws what is morally good. And if God is just, it means that there is a standard of perfect goodness. There is a standard of perfect morality. There is a standard of perfect righteousness. And therefore, if something is unjust, it means it's deviated from God's line. If it's crooked, it's deviated from how God says it must be. So let me give you an example again. A straight line would be to speak the truth. How do you know if you're speaking a lie? Well, God is truth. The line is written down. Truth is written down for us in his word. So when we lie, it is unjust because it is crooked against the straight line that God has established. It is just to treat woman with honor and respect because she is fashioned in the image of God. God draws the line, draws the image, just like men. It is therefore unjust to treat a woman with dishonor and disrespect and to treat her as if she is some sort of inferior subordinate. It's unjust. But something more. If God is just, then he loves what is good. He loves what is straight. And he hates what is crooked. He hates what is bent. He hates what is skew. So have a look at this in Psalm 11.7. For the Lord is righteous. You could almost say, therefore, he loves justice. In Psalm 33, 5, the Lord loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of his unfailing love. You'll uh, know these famous words from Genesis 6, verse 5 and 6. Just take a look at them with me for a moment. The Lord, way back in the beginning, saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all of the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Now, it does not mean that God regretted making man. It means that God grieves over the wickedness, injustices, and hurts that humans cause. It breaks his heart. The evil inside the human heart breaks God's heart. And I would just ask you this morning, does the evil inside your heart and the evil that you see inside others, does it break your heart? 
my brothers and sisters, I know that many of you sitting here, I know many of you, have had things done to you that are beyond words. They could not be repeated from this pulpit. We've all had hurts to different degrees, to different intensities, the depths vary. But I want you to know, my brothers and sisters, that our God grieves with you. He grieves your hurt. He grieves the damage. God, our God, is not indifferent to the painful experiences that we endure. Here's some beautiful words from Exodus chapter 2 going all the way back. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out and they cried for help because of their slavery and it went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. You see, my brother and sister, if God is just, then he loves justice. He knows, he cares, he sees, and he grieves over them with you. And because God is just, he will bring about absolute and complete justice one day, where he punishes the crookedness and he makes the crooked straight forever. And if God is just, he must punish evil. If God doesn't punish evil, then God is not just. And here's a wonderful quote from Rachel Den Hollander. Punishment for evil is not because God is vengeful, it's because he loves God must punish evil because a conformity to a straight line has been broken. Let me put it one other way to you. 1 John 4 verse 8, God is love. Therefore, God hates anything that is unlove. Evil is unlove. And unlove must be punished because God is love. Rachel Den Hollander, in her, in her incredible book, What's a Girl Worth? If you haven't read it, you need to read it. She uh, cites a powerful uh, court case to make her point, and she uses the court case of Brock Turner back in 2015. I went to have a look it up and see what it was, it was about, and uh, here's what happened. Brock Allen Turner was convicted by a jury trial on three counts of felony sexual assault. One of the ladies that he assaulted, she was 22 years old and she was unconscious at the time. On June 2nd, 2016, Santa Clara County Superior Court Judge Aaron Persky sentenced Turner to six months jail and three years probation. He got out after three months on good behavior. Three months for a lifetime of damage. 
Now let me ask you, when you hear that, do you think, oh, what a loving judge? Is that what you think? What do you think? It's disgusting. It's appalling. It was the most unloving thing that judge could ever have done because he did not treat evil for the evil that it, it was. That judge was not just. He was not loving. Now let me say this to you. A God who is not just is not a God that we want to worship. A God who will not hold people accountable for the crookedness of their lives is not a God worthy of our respect and honor and worship. And so Paul here, right at the start of 2 Thessalonians, he wants to remind these persecuted Christians going through unjust persecution that God is lovingly just. He draws the good and the straight lines revealed in his word, and he will hold to account all those who break the straight line and walk in the crooked roads of injustice. Let me take you to my third question. How does God work his justice? How does he work his justice? Now, there are a number of ways in which God works out his justice but I just want to focus on two that are in this passage. So look at verse 3 with me. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love, and the love all you have for one another is increasing. Now you say, well, what's going on here? Paul, have a look at it. Paul is grateful for their th- for their growing faith. Do you see that? He's grateful for their growing faith. Their faith in who? It's Christ. You see, their faith is in the Christ of the gospel who died on the cross and rose from the dead. Now, here's what I want you to see. As Paul puts up that, verse 3, in the light of what's coming in verse six and, uh, verses 6 to 10, Paul is about to make a breathtaking statement. Here's it. The first way that God brings his justice is by taking that injustice on himself in his son. You see that? They have faith in Christ. So they've got faith in the God who has taken on the justice himself. In the Lord Jesus Christ. An unbeliever ever looks at our God and accuses him of being indifferent and uncaring and passionately disinterested in the injustices of our world. But nothing could be further from the truth. God sees, God knows, God cares, and then God reaches down into our world giving us his son, and on him placing the crooked lines of injustice that we walk from the heart. We humans deserve justice for the injustices we perpetrate. Jesus Christ, the one in whom the fullness of God dwells bodily, suffered the justice of God for our injustices. 
If God did not care about our world, if he did not care what happened to people in this world, if God did not grieve over the wickedness of man displayed every single day, then Christ would not have come in order to satisfy the justice of God for us. Now let me say something to you. This is why Jesus had to be fully God and fully man. Why? Let me see if I got it here. Here's why Jesus had to be fully God and fully man. Because the justice of God can only be satisfied by God. And the injustice of man can only be paid for by a man. You see, that's why the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ is no mere theological dogma, a sort of abstraction. It is a life-saving, critical truth. If Jesus was only God, he could not save us. If Jesus was only man, he could not save us. The justice of God and the injustice of man is satisfied, paid for, in the image of the invisible God, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh to come, live, die, and rise from the dead. You all know the famous, the well-known verse, don't you? Here's the most popular verse in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You could read it like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not suffer the justice of God. Because Jesus has suffered that justice for you. So the first way in which God works out his justice is to take on, to take on the justice in himself. And lay upon him all our injustices in his son. But here's, a, here's the second one. And it's worked out in verses 6 to 10. So let me just read the verses again for you. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to, to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. And this includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. Let me sort of take that as a whole, and here, here's how it works. Here's, here's the second way in which God works out his justice. Every injustice that is not paid for by Christ will be paid for by the unforgiven sinner when Christ returns, which is Judgment Day. Does that make sense? Every injustice that is not paid for by Christ will be paid for by the unforgiven sinner when Christ returns on Judgment Day. If you've got your Bible, have a look at uh, verse, verse 8. 
Those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who refuse the justice of God for them in Christ. They will suffer the justice of God themselves. On judgment day, when Christ returns, they'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. That is not God being vengefully retaliatory, but a loving God who's righting the wrongs of every man and every woman who refuses the justice of God in Christ at the cross. And that's what we said earlier, wasn't it? That this is what a loving God who loves justice must do. How can God let the guilty go unpunished? He can't. How can God let the evil inside every human being go? He can't. He doesn't. He won't. So as I start to uh, bring this to a close, what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us? Let me give you two things. Christian, let me address you first. Justice for the evil things done to us is good and right. I'll come to that in just a minute. But can you and I just stop and think for a moment, think deeply about all the evil we have done, both to God, to men, and to women? And primarily that our offenses are towards God, aren't they? Primarily. You remember David, don't you? Sinned, adultery with Bathsheba, sinned against her, sinned against her husband by killing him. Deceitful treachery, that had incredible impact on his family, his nation. But when David repents, finally repents in Psalm 51, and he comes before God, he says, Before you, God, and you alone, I have sinned. This does not minimize what he has done against others, but he did know that his sin was first and foremost against the holy God. And that sin wreaked devastating havoc, chaos, damage, hurt, on pain, on all around him. Justice from a loving God who sets the straight, loves the straight, hates the cricket, the crooked, would mean our punishment in eternal hell separated from his love forever. If it wasn't for Christ, who has taken our crooked lines. And Christian, Christ has satisfied the justice of God for you. And please understand that when we receive the forgiveness of Christ, our sins are not minimized. They are not underplayed. They are not seen less evil than they are. Forgiveness means that someone else, Christ, has paid for that evil. Here's another wonderful quote from Rachel. 
Forgiveness means you will not receive what you deserve. Not because justice wasn't done, but because it was done in Christ for you. Great truth, isn't it? So there's your justice, and finally then, what about their justice? If God is just, and he's bringing every evil to book when he returns, what that means is that we can release any desire for personal retaliation and vengeance against others because we know that justice will prevail. We can release any desire for personal retaliation and vengeance because we know that justice is coming. It does not mean that justice for wrongs here should not be pursued in the law courts. It's good and it's right. Again, let me give you another quote from Rachel. She says... If I've got a chair, let me see. No, I haven't. Rachel Denholden says, Pursuing justice on earth is a reflection of the heart of God. Did you hear that? Pursuing justice on earth is a reflection of the heart of God. So what does it mean? It means that when justice doesn't prevail on earth, when it doesn't happen the way we think it should happen, we're not left bitter and angry and confused and resentful. Because Jesus is coming, he will bring justice. Knowing that God is just brings about a pursuit of justice in this world. Listen, but we're not entirely dependent upon it. Because so often justice in this world is perverted. Just like with Brock Turner in 2015. But there's one more thing. Because God is just, we are free to pursue the salvation of those who perpetrate evil against us. Did you hear that? Because God is just, we are freed. We are free to pursue the salvation of those who've committed evil against us. When you're wanting someone to be saved, what are you praying for? What are you praying for? You're praying that Christ would take their, their justice, right? You're praying, you're praying that, they, that, that Christ would take the justice of God for that person. And that's love. To love your enemy means to seek their good. And to seek their good means that you would seek their forgiveness in Christ, where Christ would pay the justice for them instead of themselves suffering eternal punishment in hell, which is what they deserve. One of the most moving things you will ever see 
was the day that Larry Nassar, the person that abused Rachel, the day that he was sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. And she stood up in that courtroom and she looked him square in the eye and said, I hope and pray you will find forgiveness in Jesus Christ before you die in jail. As I close, has Christ taken the justice for you? Has he taken God's justice for you? Has Christ paid for all your crookedness from the straight line? Or if Jesus were to come back today, you'll pay for every crooked line in hell. The Justice League? Mm. I'll leave you to ponder as I ask the music team to come up.